What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. Welcome back. Another episode with some strong boys here of the GPP, the Gifted Performance Podcast, where the four of us are going to give you all of the practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. There is one man who is staring deep into the eyes of you, Dr. Aaron fucking Horshig. We're coming oh no. for the cheeks and we're <laughs> clapping. Mike T, how you feeling today? I'm feeling dangerous. Very dangerous. Mike, how are you? Or Tom, how are you feeling other than tired? You cannot use the word tired, exhausted, or any derivative of those. Deranged. Oh, okay. I'll take it. I'll accept it. It's, it's somewhat tangential, but I'll accept it. And our guest of honor today is Arian. Arian, how are you, man? I'm doing all right. Not, not tired. I was tired early in the week. I feel recovered now because I was at competition last week. So um, not tired or deranged. Feeling good. Excited for this podcast. What uh, what competition were you at last week? In Orlando, there was on Saturday was the police, firefighter, military national championships. And then on Sunday was just a local meet, the Orlando Open. What the hell? Who were you coaching there? I was there, too. I had a. What? What the hell just happened? <laughs> what happened? Who did this? Uh, I see. I see three strong boys and then me. What happened here? I was trying to. I was messing with my view apparently, and it carries over to everyone else. Oh my god! I love it. <laughs> I'm a lawyer. You, I'm not a cat. Down at uh, you were down at police, military, nationals. Who who did you have competing? Because I had a I had a woman in the 76s. So the morning session. Yeah, on, on Saturday, I just had one guy, Ken England, and then the rest of the time, I was just helping uh, work the meet. Okay, right I on. Remember, I don't remember seeing you, but I don't know if you, if you saw me since I was, like, helping with scoring and the awards. I think I might have. I, honestly, when everyone's got the mask on, it's hard to see who's who, what's what, what's going on. So, Mike... You would be you would be happy to know. I thought about you when I was down there. It was because like a couple weeks previous, I had been at the hybrid showdown meet down in Miami and it was um, a mask free meet. And then we go over to. So it was like the WRF scene versus the USAPL scene and the rules and the following of those rules was a very stark contrast. That's good. That's good. Mask on. <laughs> Uh, the, despite the despite the difference yeah, in the mass, there was similarity from what I saw. I didn't go to the Miami Hyper one of how crowded it was. The Miami meet was like packed with people. And also this meet this past weekend, especially for the Sunday local meet, since everyone was nearby, it was packed like, you know, three to four audience members per lifter. Yeah. Yeah. That that hybrid meet was crazy. Packed in. I was standing over on 
I think it was the platform where uh, Hayes Fernando, Fernando Hayes does his all of his weightlifting. I was at the hybrid gym. I was over there standing on his platform with probably about 13 other people all shoulder to shoulder with me. So if, if anyone in there did have the cocoa, it was it was certainly being liberally spread around to everyone. And there was a nice little like George Foreman grill where we were, where we were horribly cooking steaks. I think they were sharpening on like grill marks, serving it with nice al dente white rice. It was just about as powerlifter as the powerlifter meat could 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 really be. It was it was a nice one. You you weren't down at that For one, were you? <laughs> nah, I, I didn't have any reason to go, and yeah, I didn't want to be around all those people. For legal reasons, this is a joke. What's that? <laughs> I said, for, for legal reasons, this has been a joke. <laughs> this has all been satire. All right, so we are here to talk today um, about meat day preparation, coaching at meats, coaching at big meats versus local meats. Um, and then we're going to kind of finish the day off talking about a little bit about coaching groups, teams. But first, Arian, I wanted to give you a chance to kind of in- introduce yourself, how you got into the sport, what your current role is within the sport, um, just that whole general intro thing that podcast people do. I'll try to keep it as short as possible, but you know, tip, typical, like, you know, person like lifting weights from when I was going into high school, you know, just doing like, you know, biceps, abs, calves, like the usual, the usual nonsense. And then slowly getting into more strength training with like following T nation and that kind of stuff. And then when I was at Florida state, I heard about the FSU weightlifting club, which Mike has his shirt on right now. And the weightlifting club was like a generic club where people would just do strongman, powerlifting, weightlifting, whatever, but no one competed until we had um, now Dr. Mike Zordos. He was getting his PhD back then at Florida State. He was like, hey, they have powerlifting that competitions in Florida and we should all sign up and enter one. So in 2011, February 2011 was actually my first one. Um, Dr. Zordos got us all to sign up for one in Orlando Lakeland area and we like rented uh, minivans and went down there and we competed in our first powerlifting meet so since then February 2011 I've just been involved every single year just doing more and more stuff like you know first becoming a referee in 2013 and then 2014 I was a assistant coach for the, the team that went to Worlds because a couple of our guys from the weightlifting club Jordan Burke and Nate Zephyr made the team as lifters so I went there to like coach them and then handle some other lifters like you know Johnny Candido or just being the warm room with Mike T Ray Williams all those people and then from there I was assistant coach for 2015 and then I applied for the head coaching spot because the head coach didn't want to do it anymore so 2016 17 18 I was the head coach for the sub juniors and juniors and then in 2019 I applied for the open team so now I've had the open team which was 2019. We lost 2020. So I have two more years, 2021 and 2022, before I have to reapply. Aside from that, I do whatever else I can. I, I run competitions. I ran one in Boynton Beach um, in January, and I help out other competitions like the one last weekend. And then just being on committees. I was on the RAW committee before they got rid of it. I'm on the coaching committee. We have a North American region. So I'm a treasurer for the North American region. So just helping out with whatever I can along the way since I'm not a very good lifter. <laughs> so I, I just want to point something out here. So Arian, what it, what it sounds like to me is that, um, you know, when you compete in a powerlifting organization, you know, that like puts on meets, uh, you know, uh, I guess, you know, maintains records, bookkeeping, et cetera, that like people actually have to do work for other, um, for like the lifters. So like you actually have to like, like, it doesn't just happen for you. It sounds like you've uh, given back a lot. Is <laughs> it's kind of what I'm trying to hint at here. Yeah, I mean, um, especially in our sport where sometimes even the lifters have to do everything. Like we have, like you know, 
Kimberly Wofford, like, you know, one of the best powerful in the world. She's also a referee. She's also now the secretary general for USVI. So like even the lifters have to do stuff yet because there's no one else. There's no money involved. So when it comes to like, for example, raw nationals qualifying totals, oftentimes I was involved with figuring out what should the qualifying totals be. Same thing for the Arnold. Same thing like for our North American um, championship records. We have to like go in and update the records and make sure everything is uh, correct, like by hand sometimes. So there's not like some, you know, professional behind the scenes getting paid to do all this. I, b- I believe it was uh, was John F. Kennedy who said, ask not what you can do or ask not what your powerlifting federation can do for you. Ask instead what you can do for your powerlifting federation. Uh, I, I go, I mean, I go like into like multiple directions with this topic and maybe both sides because one, we are a tiny sport. There's no money. People have to do stuff. And if you make like, you know, the same referees, referee every single meet, every single month, it's going to be tiring. But on the flip side, I try and do as much as I can so that the lifters are actually good, can focus on the lifting and not have to do that stuff. So I'm kind of on both sides of this. And so, so something that, and, and this might be an aside, but in coming from your position, how do you get to the point where this is a sport that actually makes money? Because I, I, I come from like a bodybuilding background and like these bodybuilding shows, some of them are absolutely massive in how much they spend and how much they put out and how much they promote this kind of stuff. I watch a sport like weightlifting or I watch a sport like powerlifting and that's a lot more of like a spectator sport in my opinion than something like bodybuilding so how do you kind of get the dollars into a sport like powerlifting or or, or weightlifting I mean if someone had the exact answer I mean I think they'd be a rich man yeah they'd be (laughs) making some good money right now the the ideas I've had is is one, I always see powerlifting as a newer sport compared to other sports. People think like, you know, when compared to, you know, NFL or NBA or something like that, those have been around a long time and have developed where powerlifting is new. Like powerlifting literally came out of like, you know, during breaks of bodybuilding shows or during breaks of weightlifting, they did the odd lifts. And so like it's it's uh, on a, a beginner track as far as the sport, kind of like how UFC has been really growing the last like, you know, five, 10 years and getting better contracts and more sponsorships, more money for the, for the fighters. Maybe over time, if powerlifting continues to grow, the membership has really been growing, getting out to more countries and building it up, then sponsors will see value in it. The other thing obviously is if they can somehow get in the Olympics, once you have that Olympic backing and you're going to be on the, on the big show, you're going to get more sponsors coming in, especially like the U S sponsors for the, uh, the sports that they already sponsored for the Olympics. And then I think the overall idea for people is maybe more about like patience, kind of like when you're when you're lifting, people want to like, you know, be as big as possible or strong as possible immediately. But it's all about like, you know, the slow, consistent gains, getting getting more into it, you know, um, getting putting more time and effort into every little thing to get yourself better over time. And I think it's the same thing with power thing. You're not going to jump straight to, you know, million dollar contracts, but we're having these these pro meets and these money meets come out where they're giving out 5,000 they're giving out 10,000. Uh, SPD was supposed to do the one where it was going to be 350,000 across all the weight classes and uh, divisions and everything like that. And so slowly over time, we can increase these prices and uh, the, the money meets and the prizes and then eventually get to something big. And do you see like the separations in federations between like the untested and tested? Do you see those two kind of like pulling each other apart in terms of like unifying and really monetizing powerlifting as a sport? Or do you see those two aspects of the sport as things that can coexist where both succeed at the same time? 
That one's a tough one, too, because I think it goes I think it goes both ways, because one, we're one of the few sports where you have the option to go to the non-tested side. Like, hey, go take whatever you want. Go do whatever you want. Don't come and cheat over here, um, because on the flip side, if you did get the the Powell thing in the Olympics or if you only had one federation, that was drug tested, then all these people are going to come over and try and beat the drug test to try and compete and make them Olympics and make money. So, yeah, you, you might unify. You might have one federation. There might be more money, but you may have more cheaters. And then you have to try and you know, keep track of who's trying to beat tests and everything like that. And some of the best natural athletes may be losing to some of the, the best people that are cheating the system. So it goes both ways. I think there can be some happy medium where there's less federations. But, you know, there's a primary one for tested. There's a primary one for non-tested, maybe one or two uh, other ones, but not like how it's there's always like, you know, five to ten different ones. You can't keep track of the new one every year coming in. Yeah, I think I think if they go the Olympic route with powerlifting, that'll really just like it does for weightlifting where there's no drugs in the sport at all. That'll just it'll just completely fix that drug problem altogether. <laughs> you just complete hashtag clean sport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah with 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 more and more money there's going to be more and more cheers but you can also see there's other sports out there where they do have multiple federations like for bodybuilding there's a couple for strongman yeah. there's a couple for even for like you know mma there's a couple out there for boxing there's several out there so it is possible to get on that high of a level with having multiple organizations I think untested weightlifting federation would be the most beautiful thing in the world. Take whatever you want. You get an unlimited amount of attempts. The only reason you're knocked out of the meat is if you say, I give up. Would, would the judging be more relaxed, too, on like press? Absolutely. Press outs are not only allowed, they are encouraged. I want to see a tricep extension at the top. I wonder if a, if a deadlift bar would help them for their cleans and snatches. <laughs> Bring it out. The only way to know is to try. <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, let's let's talk about some meat day stuff. So, you have a lot of experience working with individuals on meat days. I think that's especially for powerlifting coaches that are first getting into the sport. That's a that's a really a big source of stress for them as to how how to handle lifters on meat day. So, what is your usual procedure? How far out from the meat are you prepping or looking at numbers from the platform for the platform? Part of it obviously depends on whether it's my own lifter that I'm coaching or if it's like, you know, someone who just comes to me for meat handling and whatever they can send. But usually the, the last few weeks you want to know because that's where they're doing their heavy lifts. So if they're doing like, you know, their opener or second attempt, maybe between something and the second and third in the gym. I want to see those videos to see, are they the competition standards, how hard it was, how much I think they have more in them, what their body weight was, and then start building the plan off of that. And then obviously during the competition, you can make adjustments depending on, you know, if they made weight, how hard was it? How are they feeling that day? Everything like that. So I actually saw this, this. Someone asked this story on on Greg Everett, who's a weightlifting coach, his his Q&A today. Um, and it's just kind of a random aside, but it, it's it will be an interesting question. How do you handle uh lifters who are consistently nervous for their first attempt or consistently missing their first attempt. Like you're going out there and you're watching them. You're like, I don't know if they're going to make it. Is it a, is it just a matter of setting them up with something that's so easy that like they're going to roll out of bed in the morning and be able to lift it? 
I think it's a combination of a few things. One would be depending on what the issue is, is like, you know, maybe practicing that weight in the gym. So if it's their opener and they did it, you know, six weeks every single week going in, then they feel more comfortable with it. If it's something like a depth issue, being on top of depth for during the the training all the time and just be sure that, you know, everything is in and not like, you know, questionable. And then you go to me like, oh, I wonder why you missed it. Everything was questionable. The the other thing would be um, one thing that like I didn't do on purpose or naturally, I guess you can say, because I'm not as good with the mental side or, or studying the psychology side. But it kind of just happened from from my personality, I guess, is some people, uh, my lifters say when they I'm with them on a competition, just me being like relaxed and like knowing what's going on and telling them what to do, everything like that made them like more like uh, stress-free and relaxed and everything like that. So they kind of like fed off of my energy rather than having like the coach like running around and doing not knowing what to do and like like yelling at the other people in the room like, oh, I have to get my lifter in because like, you know, they didn't time everything right. So part of it was just like, I guess like the, the energy of the coach, the lifter kind of goes off of that. And then, yeah, if you can give them some like, you know, some different cues or words and encouragement again, like if you've hit this weight before, or, Hey, this is going to be so easy that you can, you know, it's RP seven or like that. Just go and take your time, listen to commands and everything like that. Then that can really help them. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so in, in terms of having someone like you on, on your team backstage for the lifters, aside from the psychology, aside from you being there a million times before, what are some other benefits that you might think of having like a very experienced meat day handler like yourself? I mean, there, there, I could be, you could say different levels, but like a complete beginner handler versus like more of an intermediate or advances. Some of the beginner people, like they may know how to like figure out someone's max, like, oh, this person's got 10 pounds more or this person only got five pounds more, but they may not know the nuances of the other things. Like I know some coaches that go to a meet, they don't know how to work the combo rack. They don't know how to work the rack heights or some of them like don't know how to load kilogram plates. So I've seen sometimes in warm-up rooms where people load the wrong weight or have to be on their phone looking for it. Um, the timing of things like at the meet last weekend, the warm-up room was in a separate room. We did have screens there and this time the, it was online, but oftentimes we don't have the screen there and it's not online. You, you as a coach have to come into the competition room, look at the screen, see where they are in the order to keep track of the warm-ups and the timing. And some people don't keep track of that. And there's times where we'll announce like, okay, bars loaded for Mike Taylor and Mike Taylor's like nowhere to be found because like him and his coach, <laughs> him and his coach are still in the warm-up room warming up and they can't hear us in the competition room. So the, the complete beginners, like, yeah, you might be good at programming. You might be good at like knowing someone's max but there's a different skill and experience to the handling and then when you get to the you know between intermediate and advanced handling it comes down to like how much of it is a competition and knowing all the rules as far as like you know making changes to openers making changes to third attempts if there's a jury there knowing how to go to the jury and protest the call and like you know talking to the referees and explaining it to where you might be able to get a call your way those little things and I see that all the time in the back room, even at the meet last weekend, there was a girl that I was helping her warm up because her coach wasn't there. Her coach had sent her warm ups like on a sheet to warm up as she went. Um, she did 20 kilos on the squat for a set of eight as her warm up. Her next set, and I'm not kidding, you guys are going to think that I'm fucking around, but I promise you I'm not. She went from 20 kilos to 83 kilos for a set of five. That was her first jump in the warm-up room. She was like, yeah, let me get 83. You want you want 80. That's pounds or kilos. She was like, let me, let me get it. And, and same thing on bench. Huge jumps. And she's, she's doing touch and go the whole time because her coach didn't specify hey, start pausing your attempts here. So she's doing touch and go sets of like 
two, three, four, all the way up. And I was like, do you want me to start like giving you commands, like like press commands? And she's like, oh, yeah, like that'd probably be pretty helpful, wouldn't it? <laughs> and somehow this girl survives through the meet and goes like eight for nine or something good. But, yeah, I can see how, you know, having something like that happen would would really throw people off. Were you going to say, Thomas? I said really, really turn that nervous system on with that 60 kilo jump potentiate brother. yeah yeah, I, yeah that, and and i know people people mean well like the coaches mean well and and um they, they might be like you know just a like a coach uh, at a general like you know gym as a personal trainer they might be a crossfit coach and they want to try to power in competition so they might not know all the ins and outs so i, I understand that but i mean that's still gonna hold you back at a bigger competition. If it's a beginner meet, if it's your first meet, that's fine. You screw up, whatever like that, you come back. But then when these lifters do well and they go to nationals and like their CrossFit coach comes to them at nationals <laughs> and they and they have no idea what they're doing, it hurts that lifter night. So then I have seen some of those people eventually transition. Sometimes to me, sometimes other coaches, like they want a powerlifting specific coach, especially if it's a certain federation. Okay, I want a USAPL specific coach because they know all the ins and outs to make that next level, that transition. It also is very interesting. I had never seen the warm-up room so far separated from the actual platform itself. So we were taking, you know, we were taking last squat attempts, last squat warm-ups, and they were calling people out. Come on, come out, come out, come out to the room if, if you're about to, you know, your session's about to start. And it was like eight minutes of just sitting before first attempts were actually taken. So that was that was kind of a, a weird setup there. But, hey, it worked out. Yeah, the, the part of the thing also is always that the venue is like you have to know the ins and outs of the venue. Sometimes lifters or even coaches will kind of walk through to see where everything is, see how far the bathroom are, are and everything like that. Like I'm going to high school nationals and the May. I haven't been to this venue, but I've always heard that the warm-up room is downstairs and then the competition is upstairs. And this is in Colorado too, which is also the, the altitude. And so sometimes they've had national world championships there and like these super heavyweights are like warming up downstairs <laughs> and then you got to walk all the upstairs and like, you know, they're breathing heavy and everything like that. So things you always have to take into a uh, factor. So bathrooms, altitude, scope it out. Are these like your weird tricks? Do you have any other, like Mike, Mike wanted to know, What's that one weird trick that you have that other coaches are just they're sleeping on? I mean, I, I don't know if I, if I have any any weird tricks. I mean, I, I, the stuff that I was taught are, are like, you know, just like fundamental stuff. Like a, a lot of the stuff I was taught about temp selection was taught to me by Matt Gary, who runs the USAPL coaching education. And then so I took all the coaching courses for USAPL um, and he has articles and all kinds of posts online going over statistics and how he does a temp selection. So I don't do anything, anything special. I mean, maybe if you want to like one weird trick that I could think of would be like if you want to get like, you know, maybe a little bit more things go your way with the jury. It's like you have to be friends with people. If you go to the jury and you start yelling up down like, oh, no, that was BS. Like that squad was depth or that. They're going to be like, screw this guy. Like we're not going to get. But if you go and you're nice to him and, and maybe like you already know them, maybe you're also a referee. Like Mike says, you're someone who gives back to the sport. They might be more willing to listen to you and be like, oh, Aaron must know what he's doing because he's also an international referee. And maybe things might go more my way. So your one weird trick is take advantage of the politics. I like it. I like it. Yeah. But see, it, it's it's a it's a win win because for for the rest of us, like, hey, we got someone else giving back to the sport. And then for you, yeah, you take advantage of the politics and maybe get a uh, benefit for your lifter. Beautiful. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> 
did Uh-oh. our like coaching hey. certification together. Um, and then immediately went and coached for like three days. Mike, your audio's in and out. Stand by. Technical difficulty. What he's saying is, uh, Ryan, you look so handsome today. You should do something different with your hair. Is, there, is that a new brand of blush that you're using? The answer is yes to all yes of that. To- and I appreciate that. How is it now? Is it better? Perfect. Okay, cool. Sorry. Um, so, no, what I was saying was Arian and I both did the coaching certification course together and then immediately turned around and did like three days at Raw Nationals back in like 2013, I think it was. And it was like big time trial by fire. And, you know, he's talking about, you know, all of those things, you know, like not being frantic, timing your stuff correctly, making good attempt selections. I can recall, um, like at least for me, doing all of those things poorly. And then, um, you know, as you kind of learn – you know, through repetition, I think is, you know, the, the big key, you kind of pick up on those little things. And you know, obviously I'm not as involved as, as Arian is, but I think that's a really good point too. And just kind of recognizing those, um, those soft factors trying to, uh, exploit inefficiencies basically. So kind of sounds like a, uh, sounds, sounds like you could uh, apply that to really any sport, you know, try to get some calls to go your way. It doesn't hurt, you know, it's all subjective anyway. Doesn't hurt to do a little schmoozing. So here's a question that I have for the whole group. And I've been thinking about this one. I was thinking about the hybrid meet. I was thinking about it even more at the meet last weekend. Do you think it would be better or worse for how meets are run if powerlifting meets ran like weightlifting meets where the weight on the bar always moved up? I feel like the loading and unloading slows things down so much in terms of like a spectator uh, standpoint. Of like, all right, we got to load it, we got to unload it, we got to go up, we got to go down. Do you think that it would offer a better experience or a worse experience for both the spectators and the lifters if the weight always went up on the bar? Yeah, it's uh, a tough one. Uh, I'll go first. I don't have experience with weightlifting meets, and maybe you would be able to confirm or. Um, uh, say that these uh, reasonings are wrong, but they used to do way back in the day rising weight for powerlifting, and the reason why they switched it is because the meets end up being too long. Because I guess in powerlifting, one you have one more lift compared to weightlifting, and two you may have more lifters in a session than weightlifting, and so they said this, the the sessions just went way too long, so they switched over to the round system. That might make sense, yeah, because the extra lift in there. I could also see it being an issue with some of these super heavyweights, you know, that are squatting, you know, north of 800, 900 pounds. And if it ran like a weightlifting meet, if you miss a squat, like, all right, you're on a two minute clock. (laughs) And after two minutes, their their heart rate has gone down to 185 from 210. So maybe following themselves wouldn't be the best procedure there. Mike. Yeah, like 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 Ray Williams, like he, he finishes his, his uh, attempt or something like that, and and there's no one else over a thousand pounds. By the time he sits down, I'm like, all right, Ray, you're up again. Yep, you're up again. Let's get it. <laughs> yeah, I think another another factor to kind of keep in mind is like, <clears throat> you know, maybe some of the like the raw guys and, and you know more moderate weight class guys could could get away. Guys and gals could get away with it, but you know, powerlifting originally was equipped you know, to the raw things kind of, kind of recent relative to the history of the sport. So, you know, there's like, honestly not enough time, Like you would have to following yourself would have to take probably like five minutes minimum. If we had to talk about like, you know, getting knee wraps off and stuff like that. So that would take uh, a lot more time, but also it sounds terrible. I don't think I would like to do that myself. So I really hope that doesn't happen. 
Yeah, and and I'm probably probably a little unique because I've got some experience doing Olympic weightlifting and multiply powerlifting and raw powerlifting and and you know the the physical exertion is high for all of those events, but the the like the toll that it takes on you and the amount of time it takes you to kind of have that little refractory period and get back to where you can do anything at all again is, is totally different. I mean, like, you know, you take a heavy clean and jerk, it could be 95% of your max. And in like two minutes, you're, you're thinking, okay, I I can maybe give this another shot because it's, it's a a much quicker repetition. Right. And then you say, you take that, maybe say you go to like a second attempt back squat as a raw powerlifter. And yeah, that, that probably takes you like four minutes to five minutes to, to get over, uh, and think about, okay, we're going to, we're going to put another weight on my back. And then, uh, you take that over to like, say, uh, unlimited ply, anything goes federation and you've got three plies of briefs and three plies of canvas on top and, and knee wraps. And you got six people to help push you under the bar when you go set up on the monolith. And like, I'm not getting off my feet for like, I'm like, I'm not standing back up for like 10 minutes, guys. It's, it's like 15 minutes before we're touching anything. And, uh, cause it, it just, it destroys you. I mean, the blood pressure and everything else, just the, the, the physiological aspect of it is different. Uh, but I, I think it was interesting. I think, um, it's been a while since I, I coached in person in any meets cause I've kind of moved beyond that being something that I, I want to be real actively engaged in. But, uh, the last two big meets that I coached at were, uh, some of the last couple of raw unity meets down in, in Florida. And, uh, I remember the one where Milan squatted 1025 or whatever it was. I think they did a, uh, a uh, sort of a rounds with a rising bar system so your your flights were uh were ordered by the weight on the bar and then your order for lifters within that flight reset every flight so you take your firsts and the bar would only go up and then you take your seconds and you know a person might have been third based on their opener uh but they take a bigger jump for their second and so now now they're sixth um and I don't think it was real well publicized because it threw a bunch of people for a loop. They thought they were, you know, they had a lot more time between openers and second attempts and, and then looked up and they were, you know, in the hole and, and nobody had any idea what was going on. But I, I thought it was an interesting way. It did help the meat run more smoothly, uh, you know, talking about 60 lifters in a day and and uh, some guys getting up into uh, close to four digit weights. And, uh, you know, we got out of there in under 10 hours, which is a, a record, that's a record pace. I was going to say another interesting point I thought of that, that from Mike uh, giving his reasoning is for weightlifting, you guys can put more changes in, right, for your attempts? Yes. And so what, what uh, Mike was saying about the uh, equipment lifting would be interesting if you're like, could be awesome and terribly bad is like you're wrapped in your knees and like people are putting changes in like, oh, no, you're not. You're not up. OK, you're up. And you're you're just like, you know, you're losing blood to your legs because you're wrapped in like that. And people are just screaming with you putting changes in. Yeah. And a lot of the super heavyweight lifters, eh, they, they do exactly that. They'll like they'll be like, all right, I'm taking, you know, like. 255 as my next clean and jerk. Nope, I'm going up to 256. Nope, I'm going up to 258. So they essentially give themselves that six minute rest. But Tom, you said that the length of effort for like a heavy squat or a heavy deadlift is is longer and more physiologically taxing. When when Lasha clean and jerks 270 in Tokyo this year, I'm going to time it and we're going to compare it to Dan Bell's 1104 squat. 
And we're going to see how much total time under tension there was between those two lifts right there. So I, I, I don't know if you did you see the video of Dan uh, smoking 1104? Well, and you you got to remember though that, that for like the back squat, the lift is not just the up and down; it's the the walk it out and put it back. Yeah. So I mean, you, you're talking about, you know, you, you may only be like twice as long in terms of actual bar speed for the for the back squat versus the clean and jerk, but but you're also talking probably three or four seconds of of extra isometric tension there uh just, just get just confirm out. my bias please just be like hey man weightlifting is really hard and you're doing great you're doing a really good job just tell me that and then you know we can just, oh, we just I keep never, moving i never said weightlifting wasn't really hard <laughs> the reason i'm even worse at it than i am at powerlifting <laughs> i mean when 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 dan's doing the squat that's the max that he can squat but when you guys are doing your, you know, the clean, it's not the max you can deadlift. Very it's not true. the max you can front squat. So like, you know, you guys are doing 70% over there, 50%. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> it's sandbagging. I always, I always kind of consider uh, weightlifting to be less, less of like a strength sport and more of like a, a throw event. Like I think, I think uh, like biodynamically, it has more to do, like more in common with like hammer or shot put than it does with uh, powerlifting. And it's just that the implements are similar, you know? Yeah. So. Timing and application of force instead of just maximum force right now. Let's do it. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So Aaron, you've coached at some, some very, very high level meets. So I would actually like to hear kind of how those compare, how something like IPF worlds compares to coaching at, you know, high school nationals or, you know, raw nationals or one of these, these state meets, how are things different in the back room, the warm up room, counting attempts, doing all that. Typically, I mean, it's changing a little bit, but typically when you go higher and higher, it's, a little bit less hectic as far as it's fewer platforms, fewer lifters in the warm-up room, more warm-up racks, and so you're spread out more. So, you know, like a world championship is used to always be one platform, now sometimes two, whereas, you know, for USAPL, Raw Nationals, High School Nationals, Collegiate Nationals is getting three, four, five platforms sometimes. So when I have my Raw Nationals, five platforms, I might have like, you know, three or four lifters, and I got to run around between the platforms, it's a little bit more hectic than when I have like one lifter and one session on one platform, and you can just focus on them. And you might be warming up with like, you know, maybe one or two other countries or maybe no one at all at the highest level of the world games, which is like the Olympics for the non-Olympic sports. Basically, every lifter has their own rack that they can warm up on. So like, you know, it gets a little bit easier as far as that stuff. Um, depending on the championship, the coaches the from the countries might be better than like just the typical coach at nationals. But sometimes you get, you know, newer countries that come and the coaches don't necessarily know what they're doing. Maybe they come for weightlifting or something like that and they're still figuring things out. And then the other thing you have to sometimes watch out for is like, that at least I've noticed is like one from a lot of these other countries, they know English because it's their second language, so they can hear everything you're saying, but you may not know Russian. <laughs> you, you may not know French. And so you can't understand what they're saying as far as attempts or strategy or anything like that. But you have to be careful how loud you talk because they might be able to hear what you're saying. And even sometimes with like your attempt sheets, like the first few years, like 2014, 2015, I would print out an attempt sheet for every single lifter and have it like on a, on a binder or anything like that. And then you put it down like on the bench while you're like, you know, you're warming up squats or go look at the screen. And some people might like walk over and kind of like, you know, take a look at your, your, your folder and see what's going on, see what numbers you have on there. So you have to be careful because like, you know, this is the highest level. People are going to try and do whatever they can to figure out what the game plan is and beat you. So 
and you can you can plead the fifth on here. So if you want to plead the fifth, don't 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 be don't be afraid. But you're walking into the back room at Worlds, you're warming up, and there's one country back there, and you're like, God damn it, it's those bastards from. I mean, it, it depends on what specifically you're talking about, but I think most people know that some of these countries are like very nice. Like, you know, if we're, if we're warming up with Canada, they're nice. Or we're warming up with, like, you know, New Zealand, Australia, Great Britain, whatever, they're nice. Um, some of the countries, not like, you know, Russia and Ukraine, especially, like, they're very, like, stoic and on the quip side. They're very dominant and everything like that. And they just want to, like, come in and be like, oh, I need to do this. And it's like, yo, like, we have, like, a line going. We're like, we have our warmth timed out. And this guy just wants to come in. And sometimes we even had it where we had to, like, go complain to the jury because sometimes they'll come and try and do their training session because they're competing maybe in two days or something like that. But you're not supposed to do your training session while you have a session going on. Some guy comes in, like takes a rack and they're bench pressing. And we're like, yo, we need to like start warming up for deadlifts and you're warm and you're doing a bench press session here. So some of those deals, Eastern European country and stuff like that, like they don't really care. They're just there like, you know, to win and do their thing. Confirmed. Mike. Oh no, not again, not again. We got to do a GoFundMe for a new oh. microphone for Mike. It was working there for a second. It was working. He's back. Yeah, better, better. He's back. Better. We good. Okay, we're good. Um, I was just gonna say, it sounds like you need a uh, like an advanced degree in like international relations, basically, um, or at least in uh, like Cold War era uh, like international relations. I was gonna, I was gonna say this is this is simple. This is NATO versus the Warsaw Pact, and, <laughs> and right. it's us versus them, and and we're gonna beat those bastards. That's that's all I'm hearing here. <laughs> So, Arian, what is what is like your dream destination for Worlds? They announce and you're like, oh, hell yeah, I get to go to. <laughs> I mean, we've we've gone to some good countries. I mean, as far as locations, usually they're like, you know, in the smaller cities where things are cheaper and stuff like that. So, like, you know, the city we went to for South Africa wasn't the nicest city. But the thing is, like, once you're there, you can then go vacation other places and do things like safaris and all stuff like that. Same thing like when we went to like Finland and Sweden and stuff like that, people went and did other things. But the one place I always thought of that would be good for two reasons would be going somewhere like New Zealand. One, because it just sounds like an awesome place to go and compete and travel and do vacation stuff afterwards. And two is because just the travel that they have to do, typically like Australia, New Zealand, some of these other countries, when they have to come to Europe or North America, it's like a full day trek for them, three different flights, everything like that. They're like, you know, the time zone's messed up versus us. Like, you know, we just go up to Canada and we compete. Everything is good. So it'll be interesting for all these other lifters to then experience that other side. And everyone from like, you know, North America and Europe have to take these long flights all to New Zealand and then go compete against those lifters and, and see how they get affected. And I'm a little ignorant. I'm not in the know. But what's the plan for for Worlds this year with travel restrictions and whatnot? <laughs> they Basically, what they did since last year got canceled, they're giving all those same locations, those same meet directors for now for this year. So, but we'll see what happens. So, it was supposed to be in Minsk, Belarus, um, and they're planning to go forward with it. The, the, the couple downsides to it is one, obviously, is the pandemic, but that can, you know, that can affect any country. But two, if you didn't know, like towards the end of last year, they had like the their election where, you know, it was like a rigged election and they have like their civil unrest and are all protesting in the streets. They're basically protesting in the city, in the streets where we were there a few years ago for the world championship. So who knows when that's going to finish and if that's going to be safe to go or if like, you know, people are going to say we're not going to go because they're like, you know, there's a pandemic and there's a civil civil war going on over there. 
so I saw I saw a commercial one time where um, I think it was Kylie Jenner like gave uh, like a, a riot police officer a um, a Pepsi. I think it like it ended the unrest. So that could potentially be a strategy that we could use. Also, I mean, just like maybe powerlifting would just like unify the country. Like all these people would be like, "What the hell what is this?" Are you saying that Pepsi's going to sponsor uh, IPF Worlds next year? Is that what you're saying? That's what I heard. That would, that would get some money in the sport. Mike, maybe the problem is they don't have Pepsi in Belarus. Maybe that's the issue. They have yeah, Dr. Pepper. So angry. Very, the time. very big Dr. Pepper country. They, they have they have vodka, that's for sure. <laughs> they definitely have Dr. Pepper. We, we, <laughs> we, we were there a, a few years ago, and you know, typically when you order drinks or even a bottle wherever, at like a hotel, it costs way more than if you just buy it from the store. But even at the hotel in the lobby, they were just selling a whole bottle of vodka for like, it would convert to like $7. And so like, we, we just like a bunch of us would just buy one each and just put it down on the table and we would just drink like, th- like getting the soda costs more money than getting the, <laughs> getting the vodka. Jeez. <laughs> so when we talk about things like if you're team Pepsi, team Dr. Pepper, team Coke, that's it really, really, you know, segues nicely into teams and powerlifting. Our next, uh, our next topic segue. here. It's incredible, I'm, right? I'm just impressed. smooth, very smooth right into it. Um, so it's it's an emergent concept. Um, Mike and I have talked about this quite a bit where it seems like more powerlifting coaches are getting together to form teams and kind of put their brains together to create something that's that's more successful. It's it's somewhat I think Mike described it as more of like an abundance mindset instead of a scarcity mindset. There's a lot of people out here who want to lift a heavy barbell and get stronger. Like there's not a scarce amount. We don't have to hide our facts or we don't have to like sequester ourselves away and say, I have the secrets. So is that a mindset that 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 you get with? Is that this is that something that resonates with you? Yeah, I mean, as far as like helping people out and giving out information, I've always tried to be like as open and help people out as much as possible. But I think, yeah, that can that can go with the teams as well, because typically whoever starts like the coaching company or their team is obviously like, you know, the more experienced person and they've been around longer. And so then they can also, you know, pass that information along to other people that join their team. And then that can help them be better coaches, too. It's like some of the first one I think of is like, you know, uh, RTS with Mike T or with uh, Chad Wissett-Smith with JTS or even um, Bryce Lewis with uh, TSA. It's like those guys have been around for a long time. They've been high level lifters and then high level coaches. And they're able to bring people underneath them, uh, train them up, pass along that information and then basically be a stronger team. Yeah. I, I, and, you know, part of the reason that I thought about this topic with you, Arian, was because, you know, you recently brought, got brought on with the strength guys, which is like, you know, another another coaching group, you know, has some pretty successful athletes. So you guys have Taylor Atwood and a couple other folks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, what kind of spurred it for me was, you know, lately I'll share stuff if I see like something cool, like, you know, strength guys. Um post or like, you know, especially, uh, data-driven strength. Those dudes have been posting some really awesome content. And I had somebody respond like, you know, don't, uh, don't you feel like kind of weird, like sharing all their stuff all the time? Like they're technically the competition. Right. And, um, you know, for me, I don't feel weird about it because I'm like, no, this is like useful information. And, you know, I feel like, you know, sharing it is important and learning from it is important. You know, kind of helps to make me a better coach. Helps me help my athletes better. And, you know, I could see how if you were approaching it from like a strictly like, I guess, business standpoint, it like doesn't check out. You don't want to like 
potentially do anything like benefit the competition. But I just, I don't like, like, uh, like Ryan was saying, I don't think there's any, any uh, scarcity of uh, people wanting to become stronger. And, you know, I think just like having more and even better options is uh, what will ultimately kind of help the sport as a whole. So I I'm kind of with you there. And I think, you know, like that abundance mindset is, uh, is good. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a it's business, but it's it's a different type of business, I think, because as far as like the one on one coaching or maybe even like templates or group coaching is like there's a limit. If you're going back to like, you know, Coke versus Pepsi, they have a huge addressable market and both are trying to, you know, get the largest percentage of that market as possible. Whereas like me versus you, I mean, just in USAPL, there's over 20,000 members. I can't coach 20,000. I can't coach 1,000. I can't. Some people can't even do 100. A lot of people are into like, you know, 30 to 60. And so there's plenty of people to go around for all, all the coaches as of now. And so there's no problem with me like sharing something from RTS, sharing something from TSA and them getting clients out of it because there's still plenty of clients for, for me to get. Um, the other benefit to it that I've seen is like, for some of the lifters that like maybe sometimes don't trust me at first, like even though like, you know, I might have these accomplishments or I might have these lifters, people will, like y'all, they think, oh, the training is too light or oh no, this isn't going to work or whatever like that. So just sharing other stuff from other coaches shows like, hey, look, these other coaches are saying the same thing. They're doing the same process as me. And so the person is more likely to, to buy and like, oh, if all these people are saying it, then then maybe Aaron is right. And I've actually well, seen Aaron is right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sorry, Debate, he is right. So <laughs> always has been, always will be. I've actually seen like when people try and separate themselves and try and say like they've got the secret or they've got the proprietary information, it kind of creates more problems than it does like actual solutions. Because, like you said, your training is it's simple. You know, it's. It's backed by all the other individuals in the industry that are very successful. So to separate yourself from that, you kind of have to latch on to some, you know, crazy ideology that I don't know, for example, let's say you've got lifter a who squats 650 pounds and he's got a slight bit of hip shift. And then there's lifter B and he squats 500 pounds and it looks perfect. You have to post something crazy like, oh, lifter B is more impressive to drive more views instead of just being a reasonable fucking person and being like, yo, 650, that's legit. Yo, good shit. You, 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 you see what I'm saying? Like my random example that I pulled out of my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and then, Go ahead. I think, it, I think it's kind of wild. Um, I saw a post, and this wasn't didn't have anything anything to do with uh, coaching or lifting or anything. It was it was a business uh, blog, and the guys, you know, not everything needs to scale. And there's the two big things that are really trendy right now in our like high tech era are disruption, where you're like you're totally bucking what everyone else is doing and, and doing things totally different, uh, and like yeah, kind of contrarianism approach that you know worked for some of the big tech companies 10, 15, 20 years ago and, and set them up to be the Amazons and the Googles now, um, and then also uh, the like relentless push to scale everything up and. And, uh, and this particular blog was talking about a guy who cuts grass and he said so he, he was taking and, and uh, working on his systems uh, for his client management and client retention. And instead of using them to try to scale up to cut 300 lawns, he just got it to where he could cut 
enough lawns to make what he wanted to make in 30 hours instead of 40 uh, to drive efficiency for the purposes of his own well-being and not just making more money. And I think that's kind of where coaching is going, where it's a craft, right? So we're not trying to churn out 300 athletes a year. We're trying to make 50 or 30 really good athletes and also support ourselves at the same time. Um, so rather than like, hey, we need to go be black sheep and do something totally different, uh, you know, in how we make the lifter, why don't we just make good lifters and let that sell itself and and be the goal instead of having we make good lifters away no one else does or we make more good lifters per coach hour than anybody else, you know, uh, I, I think it's kind of backwards priorities and it gets real self-serving on the behalf of the coach to think like, I'm not successful unless I have 200 clients or I'm not successful unless I do something that's totally against the grain just for the purposes of being different. You know, like, like us, our goal as coaches to serve clients, not to serve ourselves in our methods or our, you know, what we end up with on the, you know, on the balance sheet. So, I, I, th- I think people lose priority there, lose sight of what the priority is there. And I think uh, if you keep that, there's plenty of room for everybody to be successful if you look at what the real goal of coaching is. And with that said, I, I don't think that we're going to see the Tombot AI template program anytime soon, will we? <laughs> totally proprietary. You're looking at him right now. You're looking at the Tombot AI right here. I was going to say that the, the other thing to add in there as far as like we're limited in how many one-on-one clients we can take on at one time is that also on top of that, not everyone's a good fit. So like when I talk with some people, sometimes people will say like, oh, no, maybe they want like, you know, a lot of nutrition coaching and I'm not an ex- expert in nutrition. I'm not certified in, in Florida. Technically, you can't do that unless you are like, you know, a registered dietitian like that. So I can say like, hey, well, there are these coaches out here that are, are nutrition experts or maybe someone says, oh, Aaron, your price is too expensive. I say, okay, well, there's these other options you can look into for cheaper options. Um, I have a, a buddy, Bill McCarthy. He has like, he tries to have a rule where he doesn't coach other coaches. So if there's someone who wants to come to him, it's also a coach. He can say like, sorry, I don't, I don't coach other coaches, but you can go to Arian. So there's benefits like that too, where like, you know, if you're not a good fit for someone, you can pass them off to your friends. And if they have someone that's not a good fit, they can pass them off to you. Yeah. And I think it's, that's like the wonder of what we have going. It sounds like what you guys have going, but what we have at gifted as well is like, since I've started doing a lot more CrossFit training, I have a lot of people sliding into my DMs. Hey, well, you know, will you do my CrossFit training for me? It's like, no, I, like, I don't, I don't do my CrossFit training. That's Tom. Like, you got to go hit up Tom. And then they're like, this guy, this guy over here, the guy who wears the same green Sorenex T-shirt in every podcast. Well, guys, look, there's a new one, and he's ready. He's ready to service all of your CrossFit needs. Mike, did I miss anything? Do you want to circle back to any topics? No, no, I don't think so. This has been awesome. Um, You know, I think just uh, really kind of highlights the importance of, you know, I guess all of the work that goes in behind the scenes, both from like, you know, the administrative level with, you know, your powerlifting federation or or any, you know, sport federation, but then also just, you know, the care and effort that goes into trying to turn out, you know, quality coaching services. So, you know, I think that's what we're all about here. And, you know, it's awesome to hear that that's kind of what Arian's all about. I know I've learned a lot from him in my years, uh, knowing him. So appreciate it. 
Arian, you raised a good one. You raised a good one in that, Mike Taylor. All right, to play us out. Now, more than ever, we see that strength athletes are masquerading as combat athletes. You know, we've got Eddie Hall who wants to fight Thor over literally one kilo. He wants to fight him over one kilo. We've got Dave Castro and Josh Bridges in the CrossFit space that are trying to fight each other. Dave will not be fighting Josh because of allegedly um, he doesn't want to take his shirt off and show his and I quote spoon chest and noodle arms. Um weird reason to cancel a fight but so Arian with that said who is one USAPL lifter or coach referee you could throw anyone out here that you know for a fact that you could just beat their ass <laughs> it's a it's a tough question like I, I'm, I haven't really been in fights before I'm not good at fighting <laughs> I, I don't want to hit anyone um, so it's Taylor Atwood what you're saying is it's Taylor Atwood Plus, I, I haven't like seriously trained since like 2015. So like, you know, all my numbers are down. I'm pretty weak and everything like that. I think I have to find like, you know, a master's three or master's four person that I can maybe beat up because like, you know, maybe even like I have to go down to like, you know, 83, 74. So like, you know, they're weight class two, uh, one or two less than me. Then I think I can beat them up. But, you know, most of the, most of these open lifters, they can probably beat me up pretty easily. <laughs> well, with that said, who is one open lifter that you do not want to catch in a, in a bad mood? You don't want to try and do a bench session when they're trying to warm up for deadlift. <laughs> we we do actually have some some powerlifters too that have been like messing around with uh, jujitsu and all that kind of stuff like that. These other sports, and so I think like maybe people wouldn't like people wouldn't like go in thinking about it. Like for example, Dennis Cornelius, you look at him, he doesn't look like maybe he can fight or anything. Like that. But I'm pretty sure whether it's me or someone else, he's done Brazilian jujitsu. He's done legit competitions. I'm pretty sure he can like easily just like you know take you down, break your arm, or choke you out. Same, same thing with Chad Wesley Smith. He's been training. Um, he's been competing. He can probably just, you know, especially with how big and strong he is still, he can probably just like, you know, take you down, choke you out. Like, this is my Della platform. Now we're warming up. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people looked at old Chad bot when he first got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu and they were like, oh, this guy's not going to be able to handle it. Now he's starting to kick some people's asses and people are really starting to get a little uh, skeptical if they want to if they want to catch those baby blues looking at them the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, did you Here, have Aaron, any? Just... You have... No, Mike, go ahead. I was just going to say that Arian shouldn't count out that, you know, while like, you know, physically he may be unable to like incapacitate someone, he could just like say that someone's squat was like looking high, like, you know, like two weeks out, you know, how's this look? And you could be like uh, kind of high, you know, just flat affect and just, you know, really, uh, really like mentally just, just punish them, you know? So, so don't, don't underestimate yourself, well, man. Or, or maybe, or maybe just, I, I can bust out. Sure. Maybe I can bust out some of my secrets in my fanny pack. Like maybe like, you know, throw ammonia packs <laughs> at them and bay powder in them and run away. And then like go, sand. go grab like a two and a half kilo plate and hit them in the knee with it. There you go. <laughs> Adapt, improvise, overcome. I've been told in the past that there are no rules in the jungle by quite a few power lifters. Is the can you verify? <laughs> In, well, I mean, we're in the jungle right now, apparently, and uh, there have been no rules on this podcast, so I think that confirms it. 
I mean, that's as good of a takeaway as any. I think we can I think we can send the people on their way now. Guys, thanks for coming by. Thanks for watching. Uh, like, comment, subscribe. Notification bell. I learned about the notification bell. That's a cool thing to say at the end of a video. Uh, do all of those things. Because you know why? Because the algorithm, it stays fucking your boy. And we're trying to bump this shit all the way to the top. Take it to the moon. Daddy Elon is taking us there. We will see you on the next one. In the meantime, stay gifted. And we love you.